Hello and welcome to Endeavor Hill Church. Um, I want to thank you for everyone that's come here today. It's good to see new faces and uh, recurring faces. Um, I also want to uh, welcome those that are on Facebook Live as well as um, perhaps those, as we have some, that uh, listen to these later on via Spotify and, and our other media outlets. We are by no means a big church. We are a struggling church plant, as it seems. It's crazy to, you know, working on my doctorate, the statistics have kind of been uh, damaging for me. Um, I've already kind of been a pessimist in life, and I try not to be, but life is harsh at times. But almost every, I think the stat was every week or month, 700 churches 400 to 700 churches close in the U.S. You would not believe how many churches actually are in the U.S. There, there's hundreds of thousands. Um, but um, I deeply feel called to Endeavor Hill, and I could go on about this, and, and perhaps it will someday. But we dance a line of of always feeling like it's failed. And yet God continues to grow us and push us, and so we'll continue on in that regard. Um, but if you would like to support us, um, everything goes right back into the church, um, supporting uh, myself in ministry and uh, David and uh, just the church body here. We are seeking and to, to, to grow as a community that is biblically and gospel-centered, um, is... is focused on being practical um, but is just seeking deeper and deeper fellowship with one another in Christ the world desperately and, and screams for Jesus it does I, I could go on with stories about it but <clears throat> today I want us to continue and kind of wrap up our series on hell before I start let's start with a word of prayer Lord I ask that you be with us today we teeter a line of failing and closing, but um, you are author of all, and ultimately let your will be done. Thank you, Lord, for guiding us in, uh, through this week and bringing us back together. Continue to lead in our lives and show us your will and way. Continue to help Eloise on her road to recovery as she's such a small, tiny little thing, but she's beautiful. Be with um, Roman and all, and Tegan and Tobias, and guide them and direct them and uh, just watch over them and be with Eric and Brittany guide and direct them and strengthen them and their marriage and Chelsea and I and, and Rita and Mike and David and Ami and so many others thank you Lord in your name amen today's anchor verse <clears throat> is John three sixteen through 17 and 18 I mentioned this last week um, as honestly people uh, focus on the judgment side of hell and 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 forget that we're not called as Christians to pass judgment um, on things. And I want us to take a look at it, and I expect full quotations in the Koine Greek by you without looking it up, and everyone should be saying this with me. No, I'm joking. But um, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. I just, I just want to pause that and read that again. That needs an amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. After having Roman, John 3.16 means so much more. I look at Roman, and I don't know about you, but if I would ever lose Roman, that would be a tough pill to swallow. And to think that God watched his son that's existed in a part of him, as in the triune God, die, tortured, abused. No wonder the earth shook and split. The heavens cried out, I would destroy earth too if I could. So today we're going to look at and wrap up hell. And remember the four rules, context, language, audience, and meeting. Context, what are the circumstances surrounding what's being said? The language, what is being stated or said by the person? What linguistic cues exist and what language is originally written in? Audience, who is the intended audience and how would the audience have understood what is written and stated? And then the meaning, what is the overall meaning? These are continually the four rules. You should write them down for how we should read scripture. Last week, if you'll remember... And if you weren't here, we'll cover here the three traditional, the three views of hell within Christianity. Uh, one is the traditional, the eternal hell. There are some that are saved, some not saved. Conditional annihilationists. Annihilationists that hell, there are some saved, not saved. That's based on their own choice. But hell is an event, very real, very fiery. But is an event, as, as we'll take a look today in, in the book of Revelation, as it's stated, and the effects are eternal. Conditional kind of adds an amendment on annihilation. It says that even after people die, people have a, a, the ability to, to uh, be saved. That just doesn't seem or seem it isn't present in Scripture. Then you have the third, which is the one of the growing, most fastest growing, um, beliefs of hell inside of uh, Christendom is restorationist or universalist. That all, even including the devil, will be um, saved and have the ability to repent and that hell is what we experience now. A question that I have and you should always ask is why and how? And this is how do we get or where do we get hell from our tradition where we're at today uh, really where we get hell from today is from Dante's Inferno um, the, the Divine Comedy is a phenomenal read it was never meant to be a theological work um, it was written by Dante Alighieri um, 1265 to 321 he was a monk which is also ironic because it was a political satire of a poem against the Catholic Church at its time, but also it was a it was a political poem. I mean, he throws former popes and current popes and bishops and, and priests and, and uh, kings and queens and stuff in his, his story of uh, Dante's Inferno, as well as in the Divine Comedy, in hell. Um, many people don't realize it, but the Inferno is a part of the Divine Comedy. There's different aspects. The Nine Rings of Hell is an allegory. Um, and we'll look up here. You can see the nine rings. Okay, but when when people think about hell, even especially within Catholicism, 
Um, but even I feel and have experienced within Christianity, Protestant Christianity, they view the nine rings of hell. That's how it actually is. So here's an excerpt from Dante's Inferno. Out of the mouth of each one there protruded the feet of a transgressor, and the legs up to the calf, um, the rest remained in the ground. And all of them the souls were both on fire, wherefore the joints so violently quivered they would have snapped asunder um, withes and bands. Even as the flame of unctuous things is wont to move upon the outer surface only, so likewise was it there from heel to point. So many of you are scratching your head like what is being said here and basically condensing it down paraphrasing it my message bible form of of what this excerpt is that in this particular instance people's bodies are stuck up to their legs their hips in the ground face down and yet their feet are exposed and just flames are continually burning their ankles um and uh, burning their feet and their legs, and there's nothing they can do about it. People are being tickled with flames on their feet continuously for all eternity. I want you to think that, all eternity. Where does hell show up in the Bible now? And, and going back to Divine's Economy, boop, let's put a pause on, on where does hell show up in the Bible. Going back to the Divine Comedy is that... Um, it is even referred to as the sacred poem. Okay, now we, it's easy to judge the Catholic Church. It's easy to judge others, even within our own denominations. But we do the same thing. A lot of the works that we've been given, we've called sacred. They, I hate to burst bubbles, but the only sacred text that we have is Scripture, um, and it's the words that are sacred within Scripture. But we're, we're so quick as human beings to anything that moves us or is image or pulls from scripture or different things, we'll, we'll, we'll put sacred above it. And so that's where Dante's Inferno, a political satirical poem, was moved up to be kind of theological and sacred. <clears throat> Revelation, uh, and so going back to our question, where does hell show up in the Bible? Uh, we're going to look at some, some in-depth things here. Revelation 20. just want you to pull from Revelation 20. Okay. Revelation 20. Revelation 20, starting in verse 8. And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison. Actually, verse 7. Haha, <laughs> tricked you. And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up upon the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
the lake of fire and ending in verse 15 and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire there's some imagery here in revelation 27 through 15 fire does is described as coming down from heaven uh, there are times in the Bible where fire comes down. In Genesis 18, 20 through 33, you can see the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's representative of us today. Uh, if you don't remember, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is that God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to destroy these cities. And, and Abraham goes through this whole series of bartering with God, and finally he says, even if there is one righteous person or three righteous people or ten righteous people he goes to this whole gambit I will spare Sodom and Gomorrah God already knew what was going to happen and who was righteous and for the sake of Abraham and for the sake of those living in Sodom and Gomorrah he appeared and visited Sodom and Gomorrah instead of just you know God continually shows his character even through what we've deemed as harsh stories so God comes and he says okay I'm gonna I'm gonna pass this judgment he doesn't do it passive aggressively he doesn't do it any other way except for he shows up and and gives a warning and then Abraham who was a Christ type a very literal person but also a Christ type intercedes for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah who who are absolutely like us today 100 percent whether we're Christian or not, we are representative of the lots in life. And we forget that when we read scripture, but Abraham is a Christ and he's interceding and God says, I'm going to pass my judgment. And, and Abraham says, no, 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 no. What if there's this many people righteous? God says, okay. And he keeps going through it. So God wants people to be saved. God wants his people to intercede and beg for the world to be saved to stay off judgment we are so quick to proclaim very selfishly oh we wish jesus would come back we've all heard that yes it's going to be an amazing thing but you know what we should want and be absolutely bothered knowing that our friends and family and children and and neighbors and employers and employees are not going to be saved. We should be bothered by this and strive at every moment to proclaim the gospel into their lives through how we live and through what we say and directly saying it. I believe, you know, going back to what's in Revelation, we, those of us that have chosen Christ, are going to be judged quite heavily on what we didn't do. You know, are we proclaiming the gospels? to everyone verbally clearly precisely but are we living that gospels there's a war going on within our denomination and a war going on with the christianity is what does that look like one wants us to cut down and shut out and the gospels looks like 4-4 music and it looks like you wear a suit and a tie to church every day and it looks like you don't ask questions everything's been said you read certain things you don't you sit there and you pull out your tithe and you pay it and, and that's it that is apathy that creates and, and produces nominal Christians and apathy. We need people that are passionate like Abraham. We often miss the fact that there wasn't anyone within Sodom and Gomorrah who was righteous. All they needed were ten. Lot demonstrates his kind of righteousness that 
Even he wasn't righteous or his family. Lot demonstrates who we are today as Christians. That his unworthiness is after being saved, he gets drunk and he sleeps with his daughters. Lot's daughters get him drunk and they produce this plan to sleep with them. Lot's wife shows her her unrighteousness by looking back. And yet God still shows them grace by giving them a warning, by sending angels directly into their homes and, and, and giving them a way out. We honestly like to make ourselves Abraham and more of us are actually lots in the story. The fire that comes down here shows God's desire not to pass judgment, I don't think he was sitting there oogling over the destruction, be um, beseeching uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, but he's he's desiring to control sin. Another little-known story is the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 1, 9-16. So, <clears throat> this group of officials come, and, and they're here to wrangle up Elijah, and Elijah calls fire down on them. And they are consumed. The next one is another group comes and they're consumed after Elijah um, very sarcastically calls, calls down fire. Then another group comes in and the officer says, whoa, 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 whoa. We know that you're a man of God. We know what's going on. Will you please come and share with the king? And Elijah doesn't call down fire and, and goes with him. Just like we, we like placing ourselves outside of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and involved with God's judgment and, and avoiding the fact that we're lots, that God's judgment is, is still meant for us and we deserve it, so is this story here, is that Elijah is often touted as this perfect and amazing man, but here's the reality of it. In scripture it says, Elijah had a nature like our own. Elijah wasn't perfect. Elijah was kind of a harsh man. Elijah also lived with a woman he wasn't married with. I'm not making assumptions there. I'm just saying uh, there's plausibility and it's discussed within the theological world. But Elijah is a harsh dude. And, and we often think Elijah is carrying out God's will. But we often forget that Elijah represents us in his imperfections and his harshness. And I believe when he gets to heaven, God's going to say, or he is already in heaven, but God's like, Elijah, can you tone it down, please? Like you, you really, I appreciate you and I love your passion and your zeal and what you did for me, but it's pretty harsh, man. And Elijah is here and he just, he calls down destruction. Fire comes down and consumes men groups of men and it says in scripture that elijah says it will not rain um in israel for three years and it says that god honored elijah's words so elijah then we move to the story of mount carmel and here you see elijah's beautiful soft now as there's no soft character about elijah you see elijah's character come through again elijah taunts the priests of baal they probably deserved it. You know, life was harsher than it is now, but they probably deserved it. But even he even bids them to cut themselves in, deeper and scream louder because he says, is your, is your God basically on the toilet and forgotten about you? Fire comes down and consumes everything there. 
So in the first story of, of when Elijah calls down fire and it consumes uh, groups of men, the fire establishes God's authority and awakens repentance. In Mount Carmel, the fire establishes God's authority again. It awakens repentance, and it demonstrates God's power, and it reminds us of God's reality. Everyone who's watching on Mount Carmel, remember, the purpose of that was, who is the true God? Is it Baal, or is it Yahweh? And, and right there, fire demonstrates God's authority. So you have Lot, Sodom, and Gomorrah. The fire demonstrates God's desire to control sin. You have the, the, the groups of men, the 50, that are consumed when Elijah calls them down fire. And that's established God's authority and awakens repentance. Then the Mount Carmel experience, it awakens repentance, establishes God's authority, and demonstrates God's power as well as reminds us of God's reality. Then you have David's sacrifice in the book of Chronicles, 1st Chronicles, and Solomon's sacrifice in 2nd Chronicles, and, and fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice, and this demonstrates God's glory in his very real presence in our lives. And here's a little known thing. In Job, Job 1.16, I want us to turn to Job, Job 1.16, okay? Turn with me in your Bibles. struggle finding Job. Give me a second here. I'm a horrible pastor. My Bible's also very quite large. I'm really struggling today. Oh, there it is. Book of Job. Job 1.16. Job 1.16. And it says here, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Did that fire come from God? That's a good question. We often don't think about Job 1.16 and we judge Job for blaming God. But fire comes down from heaven and, and consumes Job's livestock and his servants. And... Did it come from God? Here's the question. Did it come from God? But we forget. Let's back up. Initially, Satan and, and, and everyone else, Lucifer and everyone else, is present in heaven. Um, we know this. Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. And they're giving an account. And Satan then asks, brings up Job. And God says, do anything you want with him, but not himself. He who he is. And then eventually, you know, don't take his life. You can mess with, not mess with him, but allows that. And the fire of God isn't from God, but is actually from Satan. It is a pseudo-God. Satan wants us not to fear him. He wants us to blame God. He wants us to fear God. Not in a respectful sense. He wants us to be deathly afraid of him. He doesn't want us to love God. He wants us to be scared of God. And he wants to... to He's jealous of God's character. He wants us to blame God. Notice the different wordings here. Is It says fire came down from heaven. Okay. Now, what do I have to back this up? Well, let's look at Revelation 13, 13. And it says that the second beast, symbolics of Satan's agents, the fire of God isn't from God. It calls down fire from heaven as a sign. 
um, here in Revelation 13, 13, by the second beast. And and the fire of God isn't from God, but from Satan, another who is a pseudo-god. He wants to usurp God's authority using something that seems like it's from God. And so that is exactly where Satan wants us. He wants us to argue over hell and to something that looks like God would do it, but it really isn't. And it turns people away or it causes people to, to fear God and not to love God. Today, and as we're approaching, you know, uh, Halloween is in a couple months and I, it's weird because it's now considered one of the holidays. We, we as Christians, think that Satan wants us to trick us to be accepting of skeletons and, and all that stuff. When, when really Satan knows that he can win us in easier ways through self-righteousness, through legalism. And Satan can win us by, by things that look like God and they're not. We forget that Satan is smarter than us, far more powerful than us. He is different than us, and he has been doing this an absolutely long time. We forget that Satan isn't the anti-God like we see on TV and movies and other places. Satan wants to be God. He wants his reputation to be one of a scary, horrible, disgusting, red-horned, trident-wielding demon, when in reality is absolutely beautiful and stunning. Satan wants us to... to to blame God and walk away from Him. I'm going to show you Ezekiel 28:12-17, and I would encourage you to highlight in your own Bibles. But Ezekiel 12, or Ezekiel 28:12-17, you were the signet of perfection. This is talking about Lucifer. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold, and were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. The belief that part of God's plan is to have sinners tortured for the rest of eternity or even for a temporary amount of time takes what God is capable of and twists it. There can be nothing more satanic than causing people to view God in complete fear of eternal torment. However, to believe that there are no consequences and that hell isn't real, that is just as satanic satanic and damning to the cause of God. Revelation 20 demonstrates that Satan is the cause of the world's problems, not God. Satan is always wishing to deceive us. He is always wanting to look like God, twisting what God is and what God does, and he is always jealous of God's power, authority, and character. The biblical model of hell is as seen, as seen in Revelation 28 through 15 is that hell is an event. It comes down and it consumes. This fire demonstrates God's 
desire to eradicate control sin, establish God's authority, and finalize repentance. He demonstrates this consuming fire in Revelation 20, demonstrates the reality of sin and the reality of God, contrasting the God of life in the New Jerusalem and the God of destruction being consumed outside. There's a beautiful story here that I want to close with in Luke 9, 51 through 55. Luke 9, 51 through 55. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent villagers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Why would Christ rebuke the disciples for calling down fire on a village that rejected Christ? It is because Jesus knew the reality of those words from the past and desired for that village to have every opportunity to avoid the reality of those words in the future. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son to die for each and every one of us, whether we believe or not. He didn't send Jesus to judge us, but to save us.